Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Welcome back this morning to Faith Radio. Uh, this is Dan Darling filling in for Carmen LaBerge here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm so glad to be with you here this morning on the radio. Uh, we had a great first hour. We have another a great hour ahead with some really important guests. And I hope you're feeling good this morning as you're getting up and uh, as you're kind of getting your morning started, whether you're sort of uh, working from home still during this quarantine time or if you're uh kind of inching back into the office as some some folks are, um, but I hope you're feeling good. There's a lot of uh, news, bad news, things kind of uh, crawling up and down our social media timelines and that we hear on the radio and on TV, and uh, it's hard, I think, as a Christian to find joy, to find uh, slivers of, of hope, uh, but uh, I've been reading this uh, the last day or two this book from John Perkins called He Called called he calls me friend and uh i've been encouraged uh by this man who's 90 years old who has been a civil rights leader been a just a wonderful gift to the church and uh, i want to read just a little bit here to kind of start us off uh he says uh this about friendship he says um friend friendlessness loneliness and isolation do damage to our bodies and our minds and our souls and it's the impact of our souls that this book addresses he says, I want to talk about friendship at the soul level. I think that's the kind of friendship that God intended for us to have um, with him and with others. That's the only kind of friendship that will heal our soul wound and help us fix this ethnic problem. Um, he says, it's trusting in and caring for one another at a deep heart level. It's helping one another carry the sorrows of life. And, uh, you know, there's a lot we can't control about our world. There's a lot that um, is just sort of out of our grasp. Uh, but the thing that we can do is we can live out the gospel where we are. We can be friends to those around us. We can uh, bridge divides locally. Uh, we can make the sacrifices to hang in there with people that we disagree with. Uh, we can lead our families well. And I think that's just a great encouragement from John Perkins. And I've tried to be being focused on that. What can I do in my sphere of influence um, to live out the gospel, even as the world might be a little bit uh, topsy-turvy around me. So I hope you'll stay with us here this morning on Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling filling in for Carmen LaBerge. On the other side of this break, we're going to be back with uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner from Northwestern University, and we're going to talk about all sorts of things going on in the culture, uh, some of the sort of uh, culture war and uh, ideologies that are floating around, talk about J.K. Rowling and some of the things that have been happening to her. But stay with us here on Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen.
Welcome back to Faith Radio this morning. This is Dan Darling. I'm here uh, filling in on Mornings with Carmen. Glad to be with you on the radio. Uh, I've always, always loved radio uh, from the time I was a a kid. Uh, We didn't have a TV in our house. We just had uh, radio. And so I was always kind of hooked on radio. And so glad to host this morning. Uh, I'm joined now by um, Dr. Peter Kapsner, who have filled in for Carmen the last few days, and uh, now he's kind of reversed roles, and he's in the guest chair. Uh, P- Dr. Peter Kapsner is a, a, a church leader. He's a, uh, a professor, uh, Christian ministries at Northwestern University, author, speaker, a number of things. And I hear, Peter, that you're a sports fan, too. Is that true? Oh, man, Dan. It was, I was listening to the the last part of last hour when you presented the good news about Baseball coming back, and uh, Paul and I talked a little bit about that yesterday too. But it, yeah, huge, just sports junkie. I, I um, what fell into the the really good fortune, uh, sort of all in one day. I was I, I learned about twelve, thirteen years ago, maybe even a little longer, uh, from a colleague of mine at a different institution where I was teaching that I got a, a full time. Uh, teaching role at that university. And he also said, and by the way, I do some writing for the Minnesota Timberwolves. He was a credentialed media member for the NBA and oh, wow. wrote for NBA.com. And, and he invited me into that. So for the last 12 years, I've been able to be a credentialed media member with the, with the Timberwolves and been in the locker rooms with all those players. And it's, you know, you feel like you're six, seven, eight years old. I, I, I don't know who and what the expectation is about who says when you grow up. But <laughs> I'll tell you what, 49 years old, I go in those locker rooms and I often feel like, I don't think I ever really grew up. This is pretty exciting. Peter, I'm having FOMO right now. We could we could have you on again just to talk about Jimmy Butler, who played for the Bulls and the Timberwolves. But that's not Absolutely. why I had you on. I mean, <laughs> we could also argue about the DH, yes. too, uh, <laughs> in it. baseball. But uh, I wanted to have you on to talk about a couple of things that are going on uh, in the culture that I have a lot of people talking first. Uh, I think most people are aware, maybe they're not of kind of the situation with uh, Harry Potter author, JK Rowling, who has found herself in, into some trouble over just making some kind of basic scientific statements about um, the differences between men and women. Uh, what do you make of that controversy and, and, and the, the blowback she's received? Yeah, boy, that sure has been interesting to watch when you have somebody who who is such a global figure become subject to the mob attacks that do happen in social media, specifically within twi- uh, Twitter, but many different environments as well. You, if you say anything out of line that would maybe be even mildly or, or somewhat inconsistent with a given ideology, uh, and that I- ideology is called critical theory, we can talk a little bit about that. Uh, perhaps in, in a few minutes. But if you fall out of line with a certain ideology, you are going to get absolutely blasted. And, you know, Dan, you're a follower of the media. Obviously, you're in the media. You see it, too. There's just just simple articles that hardly even gain any attention. And if you go to the comment section, you see the same mob mentality. It's, it's really everywhere, whether it's somebody as famous as J.K. Rowling or almost a throwaway article on a Fox News or a CNN. It, it, there, there's these comments that so it's a really difficult environment. And and for her, she made the supposed mistake of making an observation that in the midst of all of this transgender movement that's happened the last four years or so, that she said, but women are still women. Women still menstruate. She she was mildly skeptical, if not even entirely skeptical, of being able to change, change one's biological sex. 
And what's interesting about that is she is, uh, at the same time, a profound supporter of gay and lesbian movements. And of course, I would disagree with her on that point. And yet she has somehow parsed out LGBTQ. And what, what she's done is she says, I can support some of this movement, but I can't support other parts of this movement. And uh, and she she has um, divorced those two. And there is, a, it's not talked about very often, there's certainly a fracture within the LGBTQ movement because to be gay or lesbian assumes that there is something called biological sex, uh, that, that there is uh, a sex that you have, male or female, because to be attracted to the same sex assumes there is something that is essentially called sex. And so there has to be female if you're lesbian and you're going to be attracted to another female or on the flip side, male and male. And that fracture with the transgender community, because many people within the transgender community would suggest that gender and sex is just a social construction. We are trained up into it. It doesn't actually really exist. And so she took that to task a little bit from her perspective. Again, I, I don't agree with her perspective on the gay and lesbian issues, but it was interesting when she did that. And Dan, wow. Right. I mean, the, the mob came after her uh, at that moment that she was, you know, bigoted and hating and, and everything under the sun. And the last part of the story that I think really interesting, and I think it's really worth our listeners uh, reading her response to all of it. And you, you could just Google J.K. Rowling writes her reasons uh, and it would lead you to an article that she released in a response on June 10th. <clears throat> and the reason for it, Dan, is because it's a classic example of a really thoughtful piece. You're not going to agree with everything in the piece, of course, but it thoughtfully deconstructs things. And that's something that doesn't happen anymore. I, uh, I, when I got my PhD at the University of Edinburgh in Britain, I failed out actually from the first three years. I turned in my 300 page document and got laughed out of the room. And, and the reason why I did, and I didn't understand it, is that as an American, I made an argument and in my argument, I was deconstructing everybody else's point of view so that my view was left standing. And in Britain, when you make an argument, uh, it's very different than that. You simply make a statement and you, then you support that statement. That's all you do. You're not deconstructing everybody else. You simply just uh, support your statement. And, and the Brits mm. kind of laugh at the Americans for how sort of woke they are and, and how they're so busy deconstructing everybody else. They just, they want to write and say, let me just make the case here. And Rowling makes the case in her article. It's a really compelling read because of that. It, it really is. And and it's worrisome, uh, it would seem too, just this kind of mob mentality where um, we just kind of want to crush people uh, yes. online for having the wrong, for having wrong think. And so when we come back from this break, uh, I want to dig in on that a little bit. This kind of, uh, mob mentality against uh, people who uh, make the mistake of having the wrong opinion. Uh, this is Faith Radio. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Dan Darling. Glad to be with you this morning. We're going to be have more with uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner on the other side of this break. When Welcome back to Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling in for Carmen on Mornings with Carmen, and uh, glad to be with you. We're continuing our conversation with Dr. Peter Kapsner from Northwestern Uni uh, University, uh, and uh, we're talking about really this kind of mob mentality, this mob justice that kind of uh, is prevailing both online and, and, and even offline. 
with with some things we talked about jk rowling and kind of how she committed the thought crime of of just kind of articulating what science says about uh men and women and their distinctions um peter you uh you and i have both read this i think fascinating article uh on tablet magazine by judith Squar about the politics of fear uh and there's a statement she made in there just about I think to the extent of people who are fighting for justice can often commit injustices themselves. You want to kind of yeah. explain that and, and what we're seeing right now? Yeah, it is a really worthwhile read, isn't it, Dan? I, I think, again, to direct our listeners to that the title of the article is called Moral Cruelty and the Left. And what it's suggesting is that when, when a certain group of people has the understandable and maybe even justifiable moral high ground, uh, and, and in this case, the people that have been the victims of the crimes uh, of uh, the police oppression when it does happen, and, and obviously the killing of George Floyd. And, and the protesters have had the moral high ground. There's, there's no question about it. It was an indefensible killing, and it's, of course, a pattern that is being surfaced in our country that, that we see and, and that we're becoming more aware of. But when you have the moral high ground, it doesn't mean that all the actions that you commit uh, are also then going to be morally upstanding. And and so I don't know what your observations have been, but I've, I've had sort of this this troubling tension in my spirit as I watch the coverage of all of this. And it's that I absolutely want to support the rooting out of any kind of social injustice violence that's being done. I, I really do want to support that. But when I watch maybe some of the looting going on or some of the other expressions or some of the the things that are said from some of the um, pseudo-political movements like Black Lives Matter and, and some other areas, there's a real violence of spirit that is happening that even manifests itself sometimes in, in the violence uh, of um, looting. And there's been uh, some other, you know, even some shootings in the midst of it. And, and what makes that hard is that when somebody, again, has that moral high ground, you can kind of turn the other way and you don't recognize that when violence meets violence meets violence meets violence, it is this sort of descending spiral, as Martin Luther King Jr. would say. And even if, though that that violence may be understandable in response to somebody else's violence, it doesn't go anywhere good. It never leads us to the kind of police. It doesn't lead us or the peace. It doesn't it doesn't lead us to to the to the hope and the shalom that we would really desire to have. It's part of why Jesus says that the, the strength that is required to turn the other cheek is what breaks that pattern of violence. And, and I'm not at all suggesting that by turning the other cheek that you should then just roll over when in the midst of oppression. Mm -hmm. It is uh, what Martin Luther King would have, would have taught, which is that when you meet violence with nonviolence, uh, you are resisting. You're not just getting rolled over. You're absolutely resisting, but you're doing so from a place of love. You're doing so from a place of trying to lift all boats, as it were. And and I'm very, and I have been compelled for a number of years by a quote from German theologian Jürgen Moltmann, who was captured as part of World War II and spent some time in some British prisons. And he was able, in getting out of Nazi Germany, he was able to then see his fellow countrymen through a different lens and a different light. And it just it just ravaged him, of course. And, and what he wrote then in response, he said, you know, the cross is actually for both the oppressor and for the oppressed. And, and if we're not coming from that foundation, if we're not coming from a foundation uh, of compassion and mercy for both the oppressor and the oppressed, uh, we're going to end up in some bad places. But, but he said that if we can do that, we're going to end up with a much freer and sympathetic for one another humanity. And it's not the easiest thing to, to say. And, and, you know, but that's, I think it gets to the heart of the trouble is that violence is only going to lead to more violence. 
Yeah, and it does seem, you know, every good movement, um, you know, the way I've been trying to process this too is that every good movement um, will have elements that even though they have the high ground will will then use that to justify violence against others. And so, you, you know, you know, the, the movement for um, against systemic racism and, and police brutality is a good one. And, and we can affirm that black yes. lives matter. Um, yes, of course. Without maybe signing up for the organization, if you will. But it's, it also seems like it's a temptation for, for Christians in other movements, right? Like I think of, you know, myself as a pro-life uh, activist and, and other movements that even though we have the moral high ground, there is a distinctly Christian way, is there not, of articulating that there's a distinctly Christian way of communicating mm. the truth and working for justice that just because you're working for it doesn't necessarily mean you can do whatever you want. Uh, maybe explain a little bit of the Christian temptation to fall into the, that kind of argument. Yeah, I think you use a very apt comparison there, Dan, in, in the idea of the abortion movement and the religious right, that there also was very much a violence of spirit. And, and of course, uh, like uh, police brutality and systemic racism, uh, abortion is uh, morally appalling. It, it, it is something so unbelievably inconsistent with God's kingdom. And yet, for many years, and, and you and I sound like we sort of grew up in, in a similar time in a similar generation. And so uh, in the in the reverberating effects of Roe versus Wade, there was the response from the Christian community that got all the way to be as violent as somebody shooting the abortion doctors. And and I would I would hazard a guess that there were many, some, if not many people, that would have even supported that idea uh, on some level. And boy, the, the Christians really lost their voice because of that. Uh, you. It, you you may think it's effective in the moment to meet violence with violence, but over time, you don't have that moral high ground and you lose your voice. Yeah, and I think sometimes we tell ourselves, well, I'm speaking the truth, so the way I speak right. doesn't necessarily matter. Um, uh, in, in the time we have left bef before we're, we're finished, uh, Peter, just maybe speak a little bit about the tendency to um, join a mob. Uh, it's so easy these days online with a few taps of our thumb to kind of just crush somebody and kind of join yeah. join a mob. Sometimes the stories aren't even true. We find out 24 hours later, uh, <laughs> we got the wrong guy or the story's not even true. But even if they are, there's this kind of bloodlust online to punish somebody. Explain that. Yeah, boy, I don't know where that comes other than that. It is, again, the, the tendency of this sort of cycle of violence uh, down and down and down. And if you've been a victim of violence, uh, it's really easy to just go online and, and sort of shoot back. It isn't all that much different than the many relational situations we find ourselves, right? Where you, when somebody hurts you, you usually lash back out in response. And, and until somebody can break that cycle of lashing back and lashing back and lashing back, um, it, it's just going to lead to nowhere good. And, and so we see in the social media and the mob mentality here that there's, I'm sure, many people who have been hurt and from those wounds uh, turn around and hurt other people. And, and I think you, you said something to me off the air, the idea that We've really lost um, that that sort of that what what God's kingdom really does throb and pulsate with, and that's grace for one another on some level, recognizing we're fallen and broken creatures. And when you can meet uh, violence with grace, when you can meet violence with compassion and mercy and understanding, it does really break that cycle. And then you can pave the way to actually becoming friends, like you talked about at the top of the hour. To be to be friends with one another is not the idea that we just really enjoy the same affinities or the same kinds of things. It really is that I'm looking out for you and I have your back. And things like grace and compassion and mercy break that cycle and start creating a much more virtuous cycle of trust with one another. 
Yeah, as someone said, uh, the on social media has all the elements of Christianity, judgment, and uh, you know, punishment and scapegoats and repentance without any of the grace. And, and I think yeah. uh, there's some truth to that. But Peter Kapsner, thank you for joining me today. Uh, grateful for your work. And I thank all of you for listening to Faith Radio. I'm Dan Darling here filling in for Carmen LaBerge on Mornings with Carmen. Uh, we'll be back after the break. Uh, and again, talk with uh, Richard Coleman, uh, who is in uh, Minnesota, talking about what's going on on the ground there in the wake of the George Floyd uh, protests. Uh, stay with us here on Faith Radio. Welcome back to Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling, uh, Senior VP at NRB, uh, filling in here on Mornings with Carmen. I've enjoyed our time this morning. We've got a, a great segments up ahead. Uh, we're going to talk with Reverend Richard Coleman from uh, the Wayman uh, AME Church and Hope United Community Development, who's been on the ground working hard uh, with uh, other faith leaders uh, in Minneapolis during these uh, very troubled times. He's going to have a, a, a report for us. Uh, just a, a really wonderful uh, person who's doing some great work there. So stay tuned with us after this break. We'll be back uh, with more here on Faith Radio, uh, Mornings with Carmen. This is Dan Darling. This is Max Locato. You sleep alone in a double bed. You walk the hallways of a silent house. You catch yourself calling out his name or reaching for her hand. Goodbye is the challenge of your life. To get through this is to get through this raging loneliness. Just the separation has exhausted your spirit. You feel quarantined, isolated. May I give you some hope? If heaven's throne room has a calendar, one day is circled in red. The Bible says, the master himself will give the command. Archangel thunder, God's trumpet blast. He will come down from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then the rest of us who are still alive will be caught up with them into the clouds to meet the master. <laughs> what a day that will be. There will be one huge family reunion. This is Max Locato with this reminder, you will get through this. I'm hungry and I'm ready for change. I run too far to still be the same. See who I was, I give him away. Today, today. Welcome back to Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling filling in here for uh, my friend Carmen LaBerge uh, on Mornings with Carmen. It's great to be with you here on the radio. And I'm glad and honored to be joined this morning by Reverend Richard Coleman, who is pastor at Wayman uh, AME Church and also is with the Hope United Community Development there in Minneapolis. Uh, uh, Reverend Coleman, thank you for joining me this morning. And uh, uh, would you love for, first of all, for you just kind of to give our audience, our listeners an update, kind of how things are on the ground there in Minneapolis uh, today uh, as, as you see them. Thank you, Dan. Good morning, and thanks for having me uh, to share with you uh, today. Uh, we've moved into a time now of of uh, where there are continued um, uh, demonstrations, controlled, um, as was the original intent to uh, take take the moment and to say to the, our institutions that we need we need change. So that's 
that's continuing. Um, there are also a number of organizations, churches that are coalesced around the the central issue of um, what America needs to look like uh, for everybody. Uh, how can we be our best selves as Americans and uh, uh, to make sure that everyone's taken care of, that uh, oppression is behind us and that we can move forward you know, with equity. So those conversations are happening. Churches are partnering. Um, there is a, a strong commitment in the church uh, in, of the Twin Cities to move forward and um, mm-hmm. to learn about our past, to, to increase our awareness of what's gone on, um, to learn, but to also to engage in a positive, constructive way. So we're encouraged by that. Yeah, you. Uh, th- there's a an important fund called the One Fund uh, that is really helping uh, on the ground there, and and ways that people can uh, meaningfully contribute, even if you don't live in in Minneapolis. You want to uh, talk a little bit about the One Fund? Yes, another example of how people have coalesced around the the issue of moving forward in a constructive way. Uh, while we have prophetic voices that are in the streets and as well as boardrooms and, uh, and offices uh, looking at policies, looking at law enforcement and all of that, there are also voices looking at the spiritual issues and um, as well. And so a couple of organizations came together, a few organizations rather, a couple of months ago uh, when COVID-19 uh, hit and uh, hit us strong and we were aware of the uh, disparate uh, impact upon African-American communities nationally and certainly locally. So we said we need to do something to make sure that our pastors on the front lines in our urban environments, uh, predominantly uh, communities of color, are uh, supported adequately. Layoffs affect us uh, disproportionately, uh, the sickness and the disease as well, uh, high blood pressure, uh, uh, lung disease, uh, and other diabetes and other conditions have pre-existed the COVID. It's exacerbated by it. So we got together and uh, said, let's let's pool some ideas around how we bring support. And rather than defining uh, what people will do with the support, we created this fund so that churches and Christian ministries are able to apply, receive funding, just to support what they're already doing. Uh, And if there's something new they want to do, it can support that as well. But to trust in the local leaders, to trust them and to uh, provide some access as easily as possible. And so we're grateful that last week, uh, this week rather, we met and began our first distribution of resources. What what has surprised you, uh, Reverend Coleman, uh, and what is uh, in in terms of the way churches are coming together in in Minnesota after um, in the wake of uh, the the murder of George Floyd and the protests that have happened there, uh, are you surprised at all by kind of what's what's coalescing on the ground? Um, is this different than uh, other other moments uh, where there's uh, kind of been a, a, an outcry like this? Right, I wouldn't say a surprise, but I I would say uh, a grateful. Um, we're grateful for the affirmation of what we have believed is happening. We've believed for some time that there's a heart, that there is a, a desire in the heart of people of faith 
to really come together and to and to be better together. We've had conversations around reconciliation, racial justice, healing. Um, this really kind of hit its its mark, I think, a couple of years ago with Charlottesville, you know, issue, and we began to have some dialogue amongst uh, church leaders around what we need to be doing to take responsibility to end racism, to interrupt it at least in the in our own domains, in our own homes and places where we worship and places where we lead, uh, to take personal responsibility. So those conversations happened, happened in mainline churches, happened in evangelical churches and Catholic community. And so there have been these conversations. Uh, the, the, the test was what would we do? Are we ready to move? And so when the televised uh, killing of George Floyd uh, occurred, um, people knew what they had to do. They had already been conditioned that uh, this racism exists and um, and has to be dealt with, but there was not the, uh, the energy or the inertia at that time prior to the killing to do something. So I wouldn't say it was a surprise, but it was more of a catalyst, I, can, I guess I would say, uh, Dan, and, uh, and, and I wasn't surprised by it. I'm encouraged by it, but I also know that uh, energy can easily dissipate or be mm. directed uh, differently. So we're concerned. We we would have some concern right now about that. Mm. That's really good. We're going to be back with more from uh, Reverend Richard Coleman uh, from the Wayman AME Church and Hope United Community Development. Uh, this is Dan Darling here on Faith Radio on Mornings with Carmen. Grateful to be with you. Stay with us. Great God, great God. Welcome back to Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling uh, here filling in for Carmen on Mornings with Carmen and uh, glad to be continue, continuing my conversation with uh, Reverend Richard Coleman, who's pastor of the Wayman AME Church in Minneapolis and is part of the Hope United Community Development uh, Project there in Minneapolis. And we, we've just been talking about um, w- what is going on in, that, in the city that's been troubled uh, first by the, the, uh, the murder of of George Floyd uh, by the police and then uh, the protests and some of the, you know, early uh, unrest uh, that seems to have settled down. Um, But Reverend Coleman is really in the thick of really seeing churches come together. Uh, And you said something to me off the air that I really wanted to highlight. You said uh, you're kind of seeing an inflection point in our history in terms of the way that the church, at least in your experience locally is coming together. Can you explain, uh, why, why that gives you hope? Yes, um, we can look um, look at look at our history. 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation. 1865, the slaves learned about uh, the liberty and freedom, you know, in Texas. Uh, during that same year, the Ku Klux Klan emerged in 1865. Uh, what did not happen in 1863 nor 1865 uh, was for the predominant church of the day, which was the white church, shall we say, to sit down with the black church, which which existed, my particular denomination, uh, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, organized in 1787, had been around a while. Um, but there was no conversation cross-racially about what America looks like from a spiritual standpoint moving forward. And then we shot ahead 100 years to 1963, and Dr. King asked a question from the Birmingham jail of, um, you know, how can we be serving the same God when we're so different, basically, is what he was saying, and pleading for his white partners in ministry 
to understand his mission and uh, for justice and civil rights. Uh, and there was silence and the black church and you know, the white church came together. Oh, there were individuals, of course, individual congregations, churches, uh, but there was not a, an, there was not an intentional strategic conversation around what America needs to look like from this point forward. Uh, here we are now. And, um, and I am praying and hoping that we will seize the moment. And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm spending a lot of my energy and I'm praying and, and seeking the Lord on a, on a moment by moment basis that we will not let the moment pass and allow the, um, the, uh, the, the tendency to revert back to what we're familiar with and what has been common to be uh, the status quo moving forward. We have to seize it. And I'm encouraged by what I see. Strong leaders in our community locally of major churches are looking hard at how we move forward. And uh, that encourages me. So I hope I've responded to your question, Dan. I think it's a seminal mm. moment in our nation's uh, history if the church stands into the place it needs to do. That's that's really encouraging to hear because you know there's so much um, that really disturbs us about the news. Uh, we've been talking about this this morning. So much that comes across our timelines that's that's just really awful. And to hear locally that there is some really healthy things going on uh, among the church, black and white church uh, there in Minneapolis is really encouraging. Uh, I imagine you're dealing with a lot of leaders. Uh, like yourself, who are just really tired, right? We've had yeah. uh, the coronavirus epidemic, which has forced pastors to kind of really scramble and, and lead in a different way. And then um, obviously the the, the racial unrest. Uh, and and so talk to me about what you're seeing from leaders and, and their exhaustion level and how they're finding strength for, for all of this. And well, I think we're, we're operating in the grace of God right now. In fact, I know it uh, myself personally, uh, I've had uh, a number of moments uh, in the last few weeks where I've been uh, emotionally uh, fatigued to the point of exhaustion as well as physically. Uh, our days are way too long. We're not getting the rest we need. And um, and and Dan, the reason for that uh, is you 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 you're aware that for the most part, African American churches in our urban communities are understaffed. Uh, we may have a senior pastor many times who's bivocational. And, uh, and in this environment, um, uh, we're called on even more. Uh, our, our membership is affected by unemployment. Uh, we're affected by disease uh, in higher uh, uh, portions, proportions than the majority community. So we have to be on point. We have to, we have to answer the phone at midnight, two in the morning. Uh, we have to intervene in situations. and. Uh, and then to be present to try to continue to operate our, our ministries uh, where we have depended heavily upon live worship, live gatherings. Uh, it's a part of our culture and, and the dynamics and and uh, particularly our older communities just struggling so bad with that. So we're, we're having to maintain all of that while learning to do ministry differently uh, uh, and now complicated by the rage uh, that has surfaced in the hearts of people and the trauma people are not trying to manage as you know the lynchings and all of that and that's what i call uh, george floyd's death i call it a lynching mm -hmm. um uh, it's just uh, been extremely difficult so it's an emotional 
uh, and physical thing. Um, but spiritually, you know, we're pressing in, we're praying, uh, we're learning to do things differently. So in the end, what the enemy meant for evil, God will use for good. We believe that and we're seeing God glorify it, but it's extremely difficult. Thank you for the question. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. And and you, I'm guessing you're hearing from pastors in your community just how tired they are and how, how weak they are. Uh, and we're praying for you uh, as you do and lead important work there uh, in Minneapolis. I want to highlight, uh, again, uh, the One Fund uh, that can uh, really help the churches there in Minneapolis that are on the ground doing incredible work together. Uh, so you can go to uh, uh, Beth, Beth Church, Minnesota. Nope. Yeah. Dan, let me, Dan, let me say it. Let me say it. It's be okay. the church, mn.com. Be the church. Be the church. Dot, uh, be the church, mn.com slash one fund. Be the church. Yes. Dot, uh, mn.com slash one fund. Yeah. And uh, we want to encourage folks to give to that uh, generously. Reverend Coleman, thank you for joining me. Grateful for the work you're doing there. And, uh, uh, continue to pray for you and your fellow pastors. And I want to thank uh, all of you who uh, are with me here on the radio here on Faith Radio. The Stan Darling filling in for Carmen. We'll be back after this break. Well, welcome back again to Faith Radio uh, Mornings with Carmen. This is Dan Darling. It's been great uh, guest hosting here for Carmen on the radio. We've had a great morning uh, talking about a range of things from religious persecution to uh, some of the sort of cancel culture issues we've we've talked about with uh, J.K. Rowling and campus free speech, uh, but also I really ending uh, by talking to Reverend Richard Coleman, who's pastor of Wayman Amy Church there in Minneapolis, and just really hearing his heart for racial rec- reconciliation and, um, you know, this hard and difficult work, uh, and it seems like in his word that uh, he feels like there's a moment here where maybe the 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 church will step up and and, and model for the world what reconciliation looks like. Let's hope that happens. Let's pray for that uh, to happen. I'll be back on tomorrow uh, here filling in uh, on Faith Radio. We'll have some great conversations um, just uh, about a range of things, I think, including uh, Supreme Court stuff and all kinds of things. It's been great uh, to, to do this, and I encourage you to keep listening. Uh, Paul, what, what has encouraged you about our conversation today? Well, I, I really did appreciate what uh, Richard Coleman was talking about in that uh, he's seeing something different this time uh, with how churches are grouping together, coming together. And I, I've been seeing this. There, we talked, I think it was last week, uh, Carmen did, with uh, Carl Nelson with Transform Minnesota, which is a group of, again, churches in the Minneapolis area primarily, but beyond. And there's been work, there's been groundwork laid uh, by this organization and others that are really helping to draw the churches, especially suburban, quote-unquote, white churches with the uh, African-American churches. And there's, I'm seeing some fruit from that, which is great mm. to see, and I just hope it continues. Yeah, the, the conversation on the national level can be discouraging, back and Very forth, much political. So. 
But I, I'm encouraged what I'm seeing locally from pastors uh, around the country, and I hope you're encouraged too. Thank you for joining us this morning here on Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling uh, filling in on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.